Todd Sachter, welcome to the Free Tanky podcast. Thank you very much. You're a professor of physiology, pharmacology, and urology at the State University of New York, right? Right. And uh, your main area of research is how the brain stores long-time memory. And, and uh, in this field, you have also uh, discovered a very specific uh, thing that I would like you to, to tell us about. But before you do that... Say something about how the brain actually stores long-time memory. Well, that was a big mystery mm. because even though you'd think it's a very simple, very fundamental thing for the brain to do, which is encoding long-term memories uh, and storing them for hours to days to you know, a person's lifetime, uh, it hadn't been known. So... That's almost uh, is very odd because you know we kn we've known the heart is like a pump and the kidney is like a filter. I mean, you know, not all the details, but the essence of how they work. Mm. But the brain, which encodes and then stores information, that's its fundamental thing, and we hadn't really known how that worked at all. And so, what it turns out by um, studying how synapses get stronger in a persistent way that it looks like the beginnings of our understanding of how the brain stores memory is this enzyme that's found only in the brain which has a, uh, an unusual property that once it is formed it is active continuously And that's unusual for an enzymes that are normally involved in signaling information just for seconds. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is very unusual in that it gets turned on by its formation, its synthesis, and then it's on all the time. So it acts to persistently strengthen the synapse. And <clears throat> what was a sort of remarkable demonstration that that's how memories work in terms of their storage is that we were able to inhibit the enzyme and memories that were first we did a day and then we did a month and then we've done three months and though even though the drug that inhibits the enzyme lasts in the brain only for maybe an hour or two mm -hmm. Memories that were months old were erased. And when the drug wears off, the memories were still gone. So it was, seemed to be a true erasure of the information. But what was important experimentally was to also show that the brain hadn't been damaged. And so what we did was we could retrain the, the experimental animal And that same area of the brain was able to relearn and store a new memory, and we could erase that a second time. So this was, uh, this was a unique finding that revealed for the first time that it's a persistent action, a persistent enzymatic action that's uh, maintaining long-term memories by the strengthening of the synaptic connections between groups of neurons. 
I mean, uh, okay, and and this specific method that you used, it was completely unknown before. Is that correct? That's right. When did you do this discover, discovery? Well, the first discovery was uh, actually 2006. Okay. That was the first uh, <clears throat> the first time that we published it, and uh, that made a, a big impact amongst neuroscientists. Not only because we could say that we were able to do something that no one had done before, but we also were saying it's it's really easy. It's like you know you don't need you know million dollar equipment. You don't need uh, you don't need really special knowledge. It's like no, you could just buy this drug that inhibited the enzyme PKM Zeta, and uh, you could try it yourself. And uh, that's something that a lot of neuroscientists uh, do, that kind of experiment, which is they would look at various types of memory, memories that are are sort of like for individual experiences, either frightening events or pleasurable events, or memories that are like um, the equivalent for an animal of playing tennis in which they... A skill, a motor skill that gets better and better and better. So different labs around the world study these different types of memory. And most of them, in fact almost all of them, were erased by this single drug. Different parts of the brain the drug was injected into. But the result was the same. And very, very consistent from lab to lab. And so that meant that the brain is storing information by a a unified mechanism. It's not like this area of the motor it's not like tennis memory tennis skill memories are stored in one method and and mm. and fear memories are stored in another. Uh there's a universal mechanism for maintaining memory. Uh there are however exceptions. There were certain types of memories that were not erased. What kind of memories is that? Uh these were memories for familiarity. So, uh, if uh, an animal, say, is instinctually frightened of something new, either a new taste or a new environment, they'll avoid it. And uh, if there's no harm done, or if actually something is good, the taste, you know, the, the, the new taste is actually tastes sweet and they like it, they'll, that, that, pattern of behavior, that instinctual pattern of behavior will be suppressed. Mm-hmm. And that could be suppressed for long periods of time. So it's a sense of familiarity. Those types of memory were not erased. Mm-hmm. So it seems it's the types of memory that is being stored by PKM Zeta seems to be more associations between different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a tone and a and a shock, you know, sort of a pa- or a Pavlovian conditioning, the taste of bell and a taste of meat that's pleasurable. Those mm-hmm. associations, those are being um, they they seem to be using this universal mechanism. So the, those memories of familiarity, for example, that are not erased by this, do you know? today how they are stored differently uh 
We don't know the molecular mechanism, no. so we don't know what's the equivalent molecule or enzyme that would be maintaining it. But the process that's maintaining it is likely, and again, it's sort of almost by exclusion, because I mentioned that the PKM zeta strengthens synaptic connections, but the, there's a converse mechanism for storing memory, which is to weaken connections that are already there. Mm. And so that sense of familiarity is, well, there was an initial sort of instinctual wariness, mm -hmm. slight fear of something new, and that was presumably already there in the circuit of the animal's brain. And then as the animal is exposed over and over again, those synaptic connections that are involved in that automatic fear response, they get weaker. And that process is a process called long-term depression. At least mm -hmm. that's our current hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Long-term depression is not being maintained by PKM Zeta. It's by something else that's unknown. Okay, I see. Do you, do you think there's? it's likely that you can find out? Uh, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I see no reason why the same process couldn't be yeah. done. And there, are, you know, there would be hints of what that would be. Yeah. Uh, has PKM Zeta ever been tried on humans? Uh, no, it hasn't been. But we can take advantage of the knowledge of PKM Zeta to to help people, and uh, it's a bit more involved because <coughs> because if you give the inhibitor of PKM Zeta, which is called, one of them, is called Zip. If you give ZIP, then it's all memories that are going to be maintained by PKM Zeta are going to be erased. So that's not helpful if someone has, say, post-traumatic stress disorder or, uh, or addiction in which the propensity for relapse is thought to be a memory-like processes in the pleasure centers of the brain. Because you don't want to erase all of your pleasurable memories. Mm -hmm. Of course. But there's a, another way to dampen memories that have already been stored, which was uh, a process that's called blocking reconsolidation of a memory. So that was rediscovered uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, it was actually discovered initially in the in the 60s, and then it, it was kind of forgotten. <clears throat> but it was rediscovered by a colleague, uh, Kareem Nader and Joe Ledoux, at, uh, who were working at the time at, at NYU. <clears throat> and what they found was that if uh, a memory is a long-term memory is recalled, and then immediately after the recall, a few minutes later, you give a, a drug that would inhibit all the new proteins being made. And then look a day later. That specific long-term memory was found to be decreased in its strength. Mm. Um, and so 
that has a way of erasing or diminishing the strength of a specific memory. Mm-hmm. And people have tried, clinicians have tried with people with PTSD to uh, help them um, diminish those memories because it, now it's specific. <clears throat> but they can't use a drug that would inhibit all the formation of all proteins because that's way too toxic. Yeah. So they use sort of indirect ways of decreasing uh, the strength of those memories. But I think they're not quite so effective because they're so indirect. Mm-hmm. All right. But there's ways of specifically inhibiting the synthesis, not of all, all proteins, but just of PKM zeta. And that would be a very a much more potent uh, way, I think, of inhibiting, of erasing a specific memory. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. Uh, <clears throat> do you think that um, do you think that brain science ever will be able to describe uh, consciousness in some kind of complete theory ab- about the brain? <clears throat> Or is it beyond the c- capability of our brains to understand our- ourselves? Um, to the extent that consciousness is a process that is shared between you and me, Mm-hmm. And the listeners of, of this <laughs> yeah. podcast, and it is, all yes. right? <clears throat> so to the extent that it can then be studied in a scientific fashion, uh, which requires um, basically repeating experiments, you know, then I think that would be, uh, yes, I see no reason why that wouldn't be figured out. I mean, it's a property of, of the brain. It's a it's a consequence of neurons firing in pattern. Those patterns are being uh, uh, influenced by a combination of our memories, which is really the our long term memory, which is where the uh, information from which we interpret the world around us comes from. That will be understood. Uh, I think the process in which the different parts of the brain are coordinated in the, the activity of the firing of the neurons, that will be understood. So I think for a, a great many purposes, you could, I think consciousness will be explained. That sense of subjectivity um, of why I'm here on this side of the table and you're here on that side mm-hmm. of the table, that sense, that would be harder but to the extent that we both share that mm. I think even that would be explained um, that might be you know that will be harder in, in a sense of more of a neurological question so yeah. um, but whether that The ultimate sense of subjectivity of why it's me here—that's um, a tough one to study scientifically. But the the argument I would that I would always think of: well, if you think of the you know the grains of sand on, in, on a beach, you know 
why is there one grain of sand? Why is that one a particular color and a particular shape and not another? Mm. You know, what gives that individuality of any of any object is uh, you know that's that's a mystery too. But we're not terribly interested in that mystery. No, no. But I mean, what do you say about this? Um transhumanist utopia dream that we will upload our consciousness to a computer to live forever. Before we die, we upload it. All the contents, memories, uh, self, uh, our self, basically, to a computer. Will that be possible in principle <coughs> in, in some future? Maybe far distant future. Uh, well... In a distant future, uh, you could imagine that the location of PKM Zeta in all of the 10,000 synapses of all the 86 billion neurons of the human brain, if that somehow could be determined, um, that is something that could be stored, of course. Mm -hmm. But um, the thing is, <clears throat> the, there's a lot of... I'm just not sure that the history... It would all have to be connected to a person's body, in a sense. Mm -hmm. So uh, <coughs> that would be very hard. Yes. <laughs> so... Because you mean the consciousness is, is an extension of our body with all the sensory inputs. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think so. And I think uh, without having the body, um, and when I say the body, I'm exactly what you just said, the, the sensory inputs, the, yeah. the vision and, uh, and uh, somatosensory and hearing... You know, I'm just not sure that that information would have any meaning. I see what you mean. There is this famous uh, thought experiment by, I think it was Derek Parfit, who said that, you know, teleportation. If you, uh, if you go into a machine that scans you atom by atom and uh, beams it over to Mars, to, to the colony on Mars, and assembles you atom for atom and then destroys the original. Uh, is your opinion that it's still you? Oh, yeah. That I have no problem with. <laughs> 100% mm. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. If, I mean, uh, I mean, we actually do that over our lifespans, probably, you know, mm -hmm. you know everything is, is <clears throat> under constant repair. Yeah. There are only a few proteins, for example... Such as the the lens of the eye, which are the same proteins that were there from from our embryos. Everything else is, has been replaced. Is it, but not the lens of the eye. Correct. That's oh, why we know. have cataracts. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's interesting. So that's the only part that's not yeah. replaced. Right. But there, you can always get you know cataract surgery, and yeah. and and you can yeah, always yeah. replace that. You can replace it scientifically. Yeah. But everything else, at least as far as proteins are concerned, are are replaced, mm. and DNA is repaired and replaced. You know, and yeah. the sequence, the information is maintained. So it's really the 
maintenance of the information, the, which is the arrangement of the molecules, that's, that's being maintained. You know, just like a, a house that brick every once in a while, brick by brick, it's, it's restored, or ship, probably a better example, in which every, you know, everything gets repaired over time, and then eventually everything has been repaired, but it's still the same ship. So, in theory, I actually have, I think it's easier <laughs> to talk about, uh, you know, Star Trek transportation than it is to store the information of the brain to download it and then not have it connected with the Yeah, mind. I see what you mean. But, okay, but then Derek Perfect goes on and he says, okay, imagine you go into this transport teleporter on Earth, beams you up to March, but then the door is opened on Earth and you're asked to come out and they say, something went wrong here. You are actually on Mars now, but the destruction didn't work out here, so we have to kill you now. Because you're actually on Mars. Would you feel comfortable about that? Uh, well, you, that's related to that sense of subjectivity that I said was a problem. <laughs> okay, because yes, you're right. right. So uh, whether that scientifically, I don't have an approach to that because that's a, that's just a single example. True. <laughs> so I, uh, I would say uh, that we both would... Both the Martian Todd Sachter and the Earth Todd Sachter would have just as much a moral uh, stance to want to exist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'll speak for that person <laughs> in the future. <laughs> speak for, for your colleague over right, there. I understand. Right. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, we do have a lot in common. So. <laughs> <laughs> you have definitely a lot in common. Um, okay, interesting. Uh, just a little bit more around... Artificial intelligence. I mean, do you think that are we close to some kind of major breakthrough when it comes to artificial intelligence research right now? Because it's it's a buzzword, right? A lot of people are talking about it now. Uh, Risks right. and opportunities, of course. Uh, it depends upon the time scale that you're you know that you're talking about. Close. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I think the more <clears throat> that we make the artificial and more that we program the artificial intelligence to be closer to uh, how the brain stores and encodes memories is is that's would be one good way to go and uh, and there it's a combination of would be a combination of understanding how molecules such as PKM zeta and whatever is doing the the depression of synaptics, you know, understanding those properties more, well, you can then program the artificial intelligence to use that type of memory more mm. and um, use the properties. That would be one. And then the other would be, as a, eventually, the circuits of the brain will be understood in a more, um, at a more microphysiological level mm. and uh, that would be a big breakthrough too so I would say that's the direct if I were <coughs> if I were uh, wanted to move in a direction of, of a more intelligent maybe and by that I mean more sort of animalistic human type of intelligence that's how I would go Okay, but how how long how I think the circuit understanding is actually way further is 
is further in the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're figuring out the molecules now. So, if you were able to uh, change your your field of research uh, right now to something else, what would you choose? Um. I mean, how far are we talking in this distant <laughs> chain? Well, no, but I mean, if you if you get the opportunity now to refocus your research now, actually. Oh, okay. So, um, I still think. I mean, I went into this field to into memory research. It was something I was interested in as a child, even. Mm -hmm. And it was a sense of the most. Uh, the largest question that seemed answerable. Mm -hmm. And I think you always have, well, you don't always, but that, that's, <clears throat> that was always my goal. Okay, so things like consciousness, understanding that subjectivity of why I'm here on this side table, you're there on mm -hmm. that side. That I still think, you know, was just not experimentally addressable right now. Uh, but how information is stored will be a step in that direction, and it's something that is figureoutable. Uh, <clears throat> interestingly, 50 years ago, before the discovery of DNA, it wouldn't have been. Mm. I mean, we needed the understanding of uh, of uh, the sequences and therefore the identification of these enzymes, which was really, you know, coming from understanding DNA or at least the technique for coming to, to understand in a deep way how these molecules work. So it's kind of at each historical time, um, at each point in history, there would be different questions that would be the biggest bang for the buck, to, to say it succinctly. So is it... So I was a child, you know, in the, in the seven, you know, 60s and 70s, so has it changed, you know, in these 50 years, 60? Not really. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Things are moving slowly. Uh, fair enough. But, but um, you were interested in memory as a child, you say. What did your parents do? My father was a biochemist. Okay. Uh, he studied uh, basic metabolism in mm -hmm. the cell, like mm -hmm. energy metabolism. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother uh, had been a school teacher teacher mm, i see uh, so your fa father influenced you a bit oh yeah mm. <coughs> in fact i i sort of know that uh memory was always an interest because i can remember an, an experiment that i did with my brother or rather on my brother <laughs> who's, <laughs> who's who's six years younger so i knew as a as a kid probably around 10 years old that I had no memories as as an infant, so I perceived that there was this thing called infantile or childhood amnesia. So um, I, you know, I didn't understand. You know, that seemed very mysterious to me, and so I um, I did an experiment on my brother, who was uh, then, if I was say nine, so so he was three, and I could talk to him. And I said, okay, remember this, remember this conversation, okay? And I'm going to keep asking you, every day I'm going to keep asking you to remember this conversation, 
And let's see if we could maintain this memory for the rest of your life. And that would defeat, uh, you know, the process of childhood amnesia. Not that I knew that word or no. that phrase. How did it go? Uh, the experiment failed because I forgot in a few days to ask him, ask him again. <laughs> And you subsequently, forget. decades later, I asked him, do you remember that time when I asked you to remember? And he said, no. <laughs> so, so, but not not all experiments uh, work the first time. No, that's the no, thing; no. you get to do it in science. You get to do it again. That's a great. That, that's a great story, actually. Okay, I think we shall end there. Uh, Todd Sector, thank you very much for coming onto our pod. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you.